0: Good morning, Metrocrest. If you would take your Bible and turn with me to James. Not to be confused with the James who just prayed, although he's good too. James chapter 3, as we continue our study, in this little letter that packs quite a wallop. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12, but I want to uh, back up and read the last verse of chapter 2 so that we understand that this all flows together. These chapter divisions were not here. James didn't divide it up this way. Would you stand with me and hear God's word to his church this morning? James chapter 2, beginning verse 26. For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray, Father, these words his words hit us hard this morning, and uh James kicks it off by reminding this preacher that not many should presume to get up and preach and teach because we would be we will be held um, under stricter judgment and so we come humbly we come humbly and ask that your spirit would come and do the work that you intend these words to do though they be hard though they make us squirm Would they also point us to Jesus? Because we need him. And so we ask that you would do that this morning um, for your glory, for our good and gladness, for the sake of our neighbors and the nations of the next generation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Now, I'm about to use an illustration, trigger warning for you all. I'm about to use an illustration that's probably not the most comfortable thing to hear on a Sunday morning, or actually anytime. Um, it, it's going it's to be a little yucky. It's okay, it's rated PG for your parents that are worried. Um, it's going to be a little yucky, it's going to make you feel a little awkward, and um, that's okay. A couple of weeks ago, I discovered that I had some kind of thing going on in the corner of my left eye. And it hurt. And I was looking in the mirror and I saw it. It was the corner of my eye getting all red and puffy and there's goop all in there. I told you this would be yucky. Um, I tried eye drops. I thought, well, is it a sty or is it a blocked tear duct? I don't know. Uh, but it, it It doesn't look good. It doesn't feel good. Uh, You know, it's bad enough when your wife, who is always kind and and never criticizes anything that, uh, any way that you look like, says to you, what is that? (laughs) What is that about? So I've got, you know, the pain is telling me something's wrong. The mirror's telling me something's wrong. My sweet wife is telling me something's wrong. And I just couldn't get it to go away. So I said, okay, I guess I'm going to have to go to a doctor about this thing. So I go to the doctor, and he proceeds to take that obnoxiously bright light and shine it into my eye. He's looking at it. Hmm, he says. So you know, I tell him everything I've told him and uh, about it, everything I've told you about it. And uh, he says, well, let, let's look at this. So he turns and gets out of this little glass dish thing these two sticks with cotton on the end of them and I'm thinking what are you doing with that what's <laughs> well, my ears are fine I don't need Q tips in my ears and those things are like logs what are you what are you doing and he comes at me with these two sticks with cotton on the end of them hold still what hold still and he proceeds to take those things and press on the corner of my eye i'm paying the man for this <laughs> so he, he presses on he says pardon me he says oh got to get that pus out nice okay good and he steps back looks at it again with the light And he says, he grabs the sticks again, one more time, okay, one more time, and he presses on it again, I'm sorry, he says, and then he goes, and then he looked at me, he says, all right, I know I said one more time, but one more time. (laughs) He goes after it. So he says, okay, good, I I think I got most of that out. Um, Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you, I'm going to prescribe this antibiotic ointment, and I just want you to... You know, wipe that ointment in the corner of your eye twice a day, and it should it should heal it up. I think we got some of the infection out, and you should be good. I got the ointment, I put it in just like you said, and i 'm fine. The mirror doesn 't yell at me anymore. My wife thinks i 'm beautiful <laughs> it 's all good. Uh, I tell you that because um In James chapter 1, James compares God's Word to a mirror. And James is about to hold a mirror up to us this morning, folks. And he's going to expose some things in us. And he's going to, well, God is going to take the Word and the Spirit, and he's going to press on you a little bit. And he's been pressing on me, so I'm just inviting you into the fun. He's going to press on us a little bit. Because he wants to get some stuff out. But he doesn't just want to hurt you with these words. He doesn't just want to press out the pus. He he wants to heal you. That's what the Spirit's up to. Jesus is going to put his fingers on your sore spot. Whether you think you've got one or not. And it's because he wants us to be holy. Hebrews 12 says he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. So here's where we're headed this morning. As we walk through these verses, we're going to listen for what God has to say about the tongue, about the symptoms that alert us to the disease that infects our tongues, and about the cure that our great physician has prescribed. Verses 1 through 5, James tells us a little bit about the tongues. So why is James taking up the subject of the tongue now? Why now? In the previous passage in chapter 2, James explained to us that faith without works is dead. That the proof of our faith is in what it produces. As the Apostle Paul put it in Galatians 5, the only thing that counts, Paul said, is faith expressing itself in love. That root of a faith that lives produces the fruit of a life that loves. If James was from Texas, he might say it this way. You say you got faith, but you don't do good works? Well, that ain't going to do, because that, that faith ain't no good, and that just ain't going to work. When James says in chapter 2, verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, and then points to our talk as the first test of real faith. He's following the lead of his brother Jesus, who said in Matthew 12, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, Jesus could have said it like James said it. He could have said it this way. You see that a person is justified by words and not by faith alone. Remember, James and Jesus are not saying that your words save you. No, the Apostle Paul was right. By grace you are saved through faith and not by works so that no one can boast. But James and Jesus are saying that the way we use our words will justify or verify whether faith has truly saved us. The reformers echoed Jesus and James and Paul when they said, We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. True faith is followed by works of love. Real faith works itself out in love for God and love for people. So for James, the tongue becomes an illustration of how faith works. And he uses our words as a test to help us examine our faith, to see if it's real faith or just religious fluff. That's what he's up to. In effect, he's saying, you want to know if your faith is real, that by his word and spirit, Jesus is transforming you? Then stick out your tongue and let me have a look at it. Your lips are the litmus test for your faith. James starts with the tongue and its power because as Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That small flap of flesh behind your teeth is a force to be reckoned with, James is saying. If the tongue is not wielded by love, it becomes a lethal weapon. This small little part has superpowers. It can give life and it can take life. And so this is the power that James talks about in verses 1 through 6. Look at at these with me. Verse 1. The tongue has the power of life and death. That's why teachers in the church will be held more accountable because we use our words to mold the minds and motivate motivate the hearts of God's people. With great power comes great responsibility. Where there are many words, there are many opportunities to give or to take life. Again, I'd like to thank Pastor David for letting me preach this passage. (laughs) It's convicting. And James is convicted too by it. He says, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So James is preaching to himself and I'm preaching to myself this morning. I can guarantee you that I have misused my words countless times. I remember a, a volunteer leaders meeting when I was doing college meeting, uh, ministry and had volunteers in a meeting. I'm training them or whatever. After that meeting, one of my volunteer leaders, who was a man that was a few years ahead of me, I had great respect for him, came to me, and he basically said, I want you to know that two times in the meeting, You said things to me that hurt me because you were trying to be funny. So I'm with you in front of this mirror. Verse 2, teachers aren't the only ones who will be accountable for their words. James says in verse 2 that we all stumble in what we say and how we use our words. We've all been given this power and the responsibility to wield it well. Jesus said, Again, I just read it a minute ago, but on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. The tongue is powerful, and with the tongue comes a great responsibility. Verses 3 through 4, James goes on to describe the power of this little bitty member of our bodies. In verse 3, he says that a small Bit directs a big horse. Verse 4, he says, A small rudder directs a big ship. Verse 5, a small part boasts big power. And verse 5, again, a small spark starts a big blaze. So, why does the tongue have so much power and why is there such great responsibility attached to how we use it? Well, Well, think about this for a moment. Just think about it. In the beginning, God created us in his image. God is the God who speaks, as Francis Schaeffer said. God is there, and he is not silent. He speaks. The Bible tells us that God spoke every created thing into existence. Hebrews 11, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Whatever God said, let there be, came to be. We were created in the image of a God who uses words powerfully. And he gave our tongues not the exact same power that he has, but a very similar power. Our words cannot create worlds, but our our tongues can do a world of good, or as James says in this passage, they can be a world of unrighteousness. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We saw this right away in the story of Adam and Eve. Um, Adam used his tongue. He used words to name all the animals. What a great power. What a great responsibility. What a joy for Adam to reflect something of the life-giving rule of God's word by using words to exercise dominion over God's creation. God shared with Adam the power of the spoken word. But when one of those creatures under Satan's power used its slimy forked tongue to speak lies to Adam and Eve, Adam did not use the God-given power of his tongue to silence that serpent, but instead was silent himself. He didn't use his tongue to speak truth to Eve and remind her of God's goodness and his rule. Adam's misuse of his tongue's power led to the corruption of every tongue since that day. God gave us words so that we might give life to the world. Just two verses from the Proverbs about the life-giving power of the tongue. Proverbs 10.21, the lips of the righteous feed many. But fools die for lack of sense. The lips of the righteous feed many. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. So our words have such power. They can feed hungry hearts. They can heal hurting hearts. God has given us this great instrument to use for his glory, for the world's good, and our gladness in doing both of those. But something went wrong. Adam misused the power that God had entrusted to him in his tongue. And so we've all inherited a sin-sick tongue from him. So James goes on to describe the symptoms of this speech impediment. The symptoms are in verses 6 through 10. First, and I've kind of... Put these in three categories of what the symptoms of the sin-sick tongue is. First of all, the sin-sick tongue doesn't sound like God. Verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell itself. Hell is referring to the final destination of the devil and his angels. The sin-sick tongue speaks the language of hell. The language of the devil himself, and it ruins everything. In verse 8, James calls the sin sick tongue a restless evil full of deadly poison, like the poison in a serpent's tongue, under a serpent's tongue. Well, this sounds like that snake Satan, who in the book of Job reported to God that he'd been roaming to and fro on the earth, he was restless. Who Peter describes as a lion that prowls the earth seeking someone to devour. He's a restless evil. The sin sick tongue doesn't sound like God, but God's enemy. So, my question for us this morning, James's question, I think, is when we speak, do we speak like God or like God's enemy, Satan? You know, Satan was called the father of lies. Do we lie? Do we deceive with our words? Satan is called in the Bible the accuser of God and God's people. Do we accuse, attack God and people with our words? Jesus said that Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. Do we use our words to steal, glory from others steal joy from others steal attention from others do we use our words to kill do we use our words to destroy psalm 52 4 says you love all words that devour O deceitful tongue do we sound like god or do we sound like god's enemy Are we speaking the language of the kingdom of death and darkness, or are we speaking the language of the kingdom of God? So the sin-sick tongue doesn't sound like God. That's one symptom. Next, the sin-sick tongue won't submit to God. Verses 7 and 8. Every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. No human being can tame the tongue. Go to the sea world, go to the zoo. They're tamed, but you can't tame the tongue. You cannot make your tongue submit to God. Now let me ask you, is there anyone here, raise your hand, who has perfectly tamed your tongue to only and always do what God wants it to do? Raise your hand. Girlfriend, what you doing? Um. Uh, since you raise your hand, I'll have you go back there and have uh, Tom kick you in the shin and see how you do. All right. Here's a test. Kevin mentioned this verse earlier. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths unless your mom really gets on your nerves. He doesn't say that. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Unless your child really gets on your nerves. He doesn't say, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. But only, only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We're only allowed to speak words that give grace at the right moment to the people who are listening. We're never allowed to speak otherwise. So for the next week, I want you to only say things that build others up. Give grace to those who hear. I want you to not do these things, okay? Don't gossip. Don't complain about anything. Don't blame, shift, or make excuses. Don't defend yourself, and don't brag about anything for the next week, okay? And that's not that's just what not to do. Now let me tell you what you need to do. Do this. Speak only good about others. Thank God for His plan for your life. <laughs> the plan that you're currently part of. Thank God for that. <laughs> Admit it when you're wrong or when you sin. Don't do like Fonzie used to do and go S-s-s-. he could never say the word "sorry." Rejoice, you're worse than you think. you're worse than you think. Boast in your weaknesses, your weaknesses. So, for the next week, do that, come back, let's talk about it. I'm telling you, I won't get through lunch without messing all this up. The sin-sick tongue can't even obey one little verse. It won't submit to God. And thirdly, the sin-sick tongue doesn't love God and people. James calls the tongue a world of unrighteousness. Righteousness basically is living in line with God's law. Jesus said that God's law can be summed up as loving God with all you are and loving people as He has loved you. But then in verses 9 and 10, James exposes the inconsistency and hypocrisy of our words when it comes to loving God and loving others. What does he say? Verses 9 and 10. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. Sounds like a good idea. We should do that. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. That's verse 9. With the same tongue, we bless God and we curse people that God made in his image. James agrees with the Apostle John who said in 1 John 4, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Your love for God is validated by your love for people. We can say we love God and sing His praises, but if we leave here this morning and use our words to tear people down who are made in His image, then our worship has been worthless. Again, I'm preaching to myself. I'm, I'm on the little table in the doctor's office and he's pressing on me and it hurts. So let me ask you, do our, do our words love God? Not just lip service. Jesus said, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But Do you thank him? Do you praise him? Do you talk to him? Do you verbally declare your dependence on him? Love God with your words. Do you love people with your words? Or like me, do you slander, gossip, attack, bully, manipulate, abuse, scoff? sarcastically made, make snide comments. So those are the symptoms. We don't sound like God. Our tongues don't sound like God. Our tongues won't submit to God, and our tongues don't love God and people. One commentator summed up this bunch of symptoms of the tongue this way. He says, James told us in chapter 1, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religious, religion is worthless. The unruly tongue engages in lying, cursing, and swearing, slander, and filthy language. From man's point of view, the hasty word, the shading of the truth, the subtle innuendo, and the questionable joke are shrugged off as insignificant. Yet from God's perspective, they are a violation of the command to love the Lord God and to love one's neighbor as oneself. A breach of this command renders man's religion of no avail. And then James, having described the the tongue in our hopelessness detainment, he says, like my doctor said, one more time, one more time. Verse 10, my brothers... These things ought not to be so. James is out of his heart of love, out of Jesus' heart of love, is, is pressing on us and exposing this sin in our, our mouths. And he says, brothers, you your brothers and sisters, you're, you're believers in Jesus. And this kind of talk just ought not to be. That's, that's, not, that's not who you are. And so I'm asking you this morning, do you feel the weight of what James is saying? here? These things, he says, what are these things? This failure for our words to sound like God, to submit to God, and to love God and people. This just ought not to be. This is not the purpose for which we are created and redeemed. This is not the righteous fruit that comes from real faith. This is not how people who have faith in Jesus use their tongues, James is saying. And so I ask myself, do I feel the weight of my sinful talk enough that I want to dig a little deeper to see why I'm doing this, to see what's going on? What is the sickness that produces these symptoms? And James goes on in verses 10 to 12 to describe the disease. Because the real problem is not how we talk. These descriptions of the sin-sick tongue are simply symptoms of the disease of the heart. And James hints at this connection between the heart and the mouth in verses 10 through 12. He says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. If there's a problem... With the tongue, you got to go to the source. And by doing that, James is echoing the teaching of his brother Jesus. Listen listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and see how similar it sounds to what James has said in those verses I just read. Jesus said, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Here it is. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Another translation said it this way. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes out of my mouth is the strongest indicator of what's overflowing in my heart. Our real problem is not our tongue, it's our heart. Look back at the three illustrations James used for the power of the tongue. First, the bit in the horse. He said, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. The heart holds the reins of the bit that moves the horse. The heart holds the reins of your tongue. What about the rudder in the ship? He said that these huge ships are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. The issue is not the rudder. The issue is the pilot who uses the rudder. The rudder only does what the pilot tells it to do, and then the ship goes where the pilot wants it to go. The horse only does what the rider says to do. The issue is not the tongue, but what controls the tongue. And then the fire in the forest... How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. This is not spontaneous combustion, folks. Someone lit the fire. The heart is the hand that strikes the match. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what's going on in my heart that's overflowing in my speech? If I recognize those symptoms in the way I talk, then I have to ask myself, What's wrong with my heart? When God's spirit and God's word begin to press on my sin-sick tongue and the pus comes out, it's coming out of my heart. So forgive me for whether you think this is cheesy or not, but let's look at pus for a moment. P-U-S. What's in the heart that makes the mouth talk the way it does? P, Pride. We're going to say pride, unbelief, and selfishness, okay? Pride. The reason I boast or lie or defend myself or talk down to others or talk bad about others or use my words to manipulate others is because I'm proud. It's because I think I'm better than fill-in-the-blank. Everybody. And so that's why I talk the way I do. That's why I have such disdain for the person on Twitter and I have to correct them. (laughs) That's why I have such disdain for whatever. I'm proud. I'm better than you, and so I will use my words to correct. Unbelief. The reason I grumble and gripe is because there's no gratitude in my heart toward God. I don't believe he's for me and not against me. So I always complain about what's going wrong in my life, and I rarely praise God for his mercies that are new every morning. That's unbelief. My grumbling, griping mouth means I have a heart that has no gratitude toward God. I don't really believe he's as good and has acted in my behalf as he says he has. I don't believe him. And so I, therefore... Since he hasn't treated me well, I get to complain. That's what you do at a restaurant, right? Let me see the manager. And then selfishness. I want to control my wife and kids with my angry words, my snide remarks, my criticisms. After all, they need to be fixed, right? And I will I'll fix them. I'm the king of the universe, and if you get in my way, I'll slay you with my tongue. So, if our hearts are the pilots that control the rudder, which determine the direction of our lives, then we're in trouble. If that's what James is trying to say. You're in trouble, and your tongue is exhibit A proof positive. I don't need a new rudder, I need a new pilot. I don't need a new tongue. I need a new heart. And thanks be to God, there's a cure. So what's the cure? It's not specifically in these 12 verses that we're looking at necessarily. It's alluded to, but it's in James, and I'm going to get that to, get to you in a minute with that. But this morning, if if you find yourself confronted with the holiness of God and the hardness of your heart, then you can relate to Isaiah, who when he saw a vision of the holy God sitting on his throne, surrounded by angels, declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. the first sin he could think to confess was the sin of his tongue. He said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then here's what happened. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth, with that coal and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and speak to these people. Friends, the altar from which that coal was taken was the place where sacrifices were offered to atone for the sins of God's people. And we now know on this side of the cross that the altar and those sacrifices were pointing ahead to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the cure for your sin-sick heart. Jesus is the new Pilate that I need to control my rudder tongue and set the course of my life in the direction he chooses. And friends, that's why I put the quote that's in your program at the bottom of the notes page from Paul Tripp. He says, nowhere is our weakness more dramatically revealed than in our struggle with words. But we need not despair. Christ has come. He has lived, died, and risen for us In him, we find not only forgiveness, but deliverance from the sins of the heart that lead to sins of the tongue. In utter weakness, our hearts can be filled with joy as we reflect on the grandeur of Christ's provision. In him, our words find their hope. The cure for our words is Jesus, the Word made flesh. And so, how do you get this cure? James has already told us in chapter 1 how to get it. Chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This is the word about Christ. This is the word about Jesus, the sacrifice on the altar It cleanses the heart, that changes the mouth. It's the word that's able to save the soul that speaks. And so, James is saying to get the cure, you must repent. You've got to turn away from this mirror, you've looked in this mirror, you've seen it. Perhaps your wife has told you that your tongue is a problem. Turn from the mirror of James 3, which has exposed your heart, and put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Repent. Turn around. Change your mind about the way you talk. Say, I'm done with that. And then to get the cure, you must believe the gospel, or as, or as James put it, receive with meek- meekness the implanted word, which is able to so- save your souls. You must hear and believe Jesus when he says, Behold, My life and death and resurrection have touched your lips. They've touched your heart. Your guilt has been taken away and your sin atoned for. You've got to believe that that's true. And then, like Isaiah, we can say, here I am, Lord. Send me to speak for you. And then, by dependence power and the presence and the purity of Christ in you go and speak words that give life to the people in the places where God's put you repent let this word from James expose the sin that's in your heart that pus that's in there that drives the way you speak humble yourself with meekness and say God I need to believe again that you have made me clean from the inside out. Would you make me clean? Would you give me your power and your presence and your purity as Christ living in me so that I might use my tongue the way you created it to be used to give life to people and praise to you? God, help me. I can't control this thing. Help me. Thanks be to God. Jesus is the cure. Take your heart and tongue to him.